Hi, hello and welcome to another episode of Of Course China. I'm Fernando. And I'm Ziv. And Ziv, who are we today with? Today we're here with Sophie Yuan. Hi. <laughs> Hi. And Sophie is originally from Chongqing. And uh, she, after graduation, after being a college teacher for a couple of years, she moved to South China in search of a better career. And then in the 90s, she joined, was one of the first on a very mm-hmm. big, very famous uh, Brazilian shoe manufacturer in, in South China, in Dongguan. At the peak, they employed 100 Brazilians right here in China. This is something we're going to talk a lot about. So Sophie, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm glad to have this chance to chat with you too. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Um, so one of the things that a lot of people know about Dongguan is that is the, the manufacturing city of the world, or it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and at one point, from my information, about 50% of the shoes in the world were made in Dongguan. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk a little bit about what that meant for you working at one of the largest shoe companies uh, in the city? I would like to say that uh, by working in this company, Paramount, I, I achieved my career success, professional success, and uh, I got my financial freedom mm-hmm. through this job. I became an uh, executive mm-hmm. of uh, HR and administration, uh, one, the highest position in the company for Chinese. Do you so <coughs> you were the the uh, the HR and admin director, right? You uh-huh. got to that. <coughs> so, uh, as I said in the beginning, at one point the company employed a hundred Brazilians mm-hmm. in China in Dongguan. Um, being the HR, uh, bringing these Brazilians over here, how, how, what can you tell us about this experience? This the difficulties and and you know and the successes you had with that. Uh, it, it's very, uh, it's a very interesting story in the past, and it's uh, one of uh, bring many interesting things, but also challenges. Uh, as you guys may know, that the Brazilians, when they arrived China, uh, many of them they were imagine Chinese people are wearing a hat <laughs> like a Vietnamese nowadays, and everybody <laughs> planting rice. Mm-hmm. So I still remember. My husband, he was a Brazilian. He he told me that when he when my boss told him that he need take a boat from Hong Kong to China, and he was imagining a fishing boat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, right. but when he arrived in Hong Kong and then he saw the jet, uh, the ferry, the shuttle yeah, yeah. ferry, like uh, so, oh, we are going to be this level. Right. And then when he arrived in China, he said everything is out of his imagination. I think this is a very common story for a lot of people. It was for me as well. Mm-hmm. When when I first came to China, I didn't know anything about China, and I inspected everybody riding bicycles. <laughs> and I get to Shanghai, and all I can see is Mercedes Benz and BMWs, and I'm like, I think oh, yeah, was you're I very wrong? surprised as a foreigner when you come to China. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's not what you expect, uh, at least back then. I wonder if maybe now it's different, the media and everything. But uh, so the Brazilians came here. Um, uh, we were talking before the show a lot about uh, how I said that one of my first jobs in Dongguan yeah, were yeah. teaching Brazilians English, yes. doing some private lessons. It was like a hundred RMB an hour, mm-hmm. and uh, I was amazed that they you 
you live as a foreigner in China, yes, and you don't speak, of course, you don't speak Chinese, yeah, and you don't speak English too, yeah. How, how was? How did you communicate with them? What, what do you? I think a human being, we as a human being, we have a common like a body languages to understand that each other, like a smiling. We know that if you smile to someone, you are friendly to show friend to someone. Like, but the main things like I think uh, uh, Portuguese Brazilian's language is uh, as it's quite common, similar to English. For mm-hmm. Brazilians, number one, they have the advantage that they learn English fast, mm-hmm. and the second, I think, is Chinese people. We are very friendly, and uh, we give chance for Brazilians mm-hmm. uh, to understand us to slowly like this. But uh, still, there are many, many. Uh, cultural shocks mm-hmm. uh, during this, like uh, Brazilians come to China right. in our company with the Chinese, and happened many stories, many interesting Stay, things. St- when St- we go back a little bit to to how you got to Paramount, I mean, uh, did you get a job post? What was your position first? Tell us a little bit about your your history. The beginning, yeah. Uh, the very beginning is like uh, at that time, Paramount is not a Paramount yet. It's called the U.S. Shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 1995. I was in Saint Jean, and then I, I want to change a job, so I look for a newspaper post. In that time, we don't have website, internet, uh, internet uh, yes, right. to look for a job yet. It's just starting. So I found a job in the newspaper. I sent my resume. They called me for interview, and they hired me. In that time, it's a U.S. company, so the the operation managers from America, mm-hmm. and he interviewed me, and they liked in, me. In in English or in Chinese? In ling- English. Okay. And he said that my presen- presentation skill is very good, so I was given the position senior admin officer. Okay. So that's my. That was in Par- in Paramount. Before before it was before called Paramount. Paramount. Yeah, right. that's but the first company. first position. Right. So my job is take care of admin, HR, even finance. So you but were the first hire. No, no, no. In that them? time, they already have. Ah, they already had some they, people. They were already there some you years. You were replacing somebody. Yeah, I was. Okay. Okay, okay. But how many years of experience did you have before you got to Paramount to this position, which is? Uh, my after graduation from university, my first job is college teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Then in year twenty, in year two thousand no, nineteen eighty eight, I was twenty three. Okay. I came to Saint Jen, so I became. I started to look for a job. Actually, my first job, you know how I found it. <laughs> I worked floor by floor in Saint Jen. That that time, the tallest building. The one that's huh? Uh, t- not Diwan. That time don't don't have Diwan. Okay. It's Guo Mao Da Sha. Okay. That one there is a turning restaurant on oh, the top. Okay. okay. I I ho- somebody told me there are many companies inside. You can go there to look for job. <laughs> so I knocked the door, one by one, until I walked to the 15th floor. I found wow. a job. How, how did you have? How were you so <laughs> brave already back then in a young yeah. age? Because I I. I always looking for like independence and freedom. I want to be far away from my family in Chongqing, <laughs> and also I I don't like the college, my the atmosphere in my college because there is all by hierarchy, and uh, I cannot talk too much. I like mm-hmm. to talk, and uh, I I was like uh, I made a mistake by talking too much in a meeting, uh-huh. and then my team mm-hmm. she. 
lost uh, like a confidence or okay. start to don't like me mm. and then he give me a job I don't like I was teaching English for the English department ah, okay mm. so uh, this is interesting uh, you did this in the 80s right the end of the 80s yes and you came there's so many stories right a lot of the Chinese people here in South China oh you're not from here why did you come here career find a better job find a better you know life right yeah this how do you do it 10 years then? 10 years after the opening up right how, how do you yeah. do it like you just buy a train ticket and come here without any no actually i have a university uh, classmate mm. she was working in shenzhen then she called me to come she said sophia you will find uh, here is more suitable for you than in your hometown mm -hmm. the college she she know that uh, she knew that i was uh, open personality and I like to say the new things mm -hmm. so she called me so but I came here with 400 RMB 400 RMB <laughs> which was a lot of money probably back then <laughs> not so much because very soon finished I have no place to live mm. Mm. I, my friend borrowed one place to me but I was not allowed to stay in daytime inside only when the people come back I can go to sleep there mm. so I must find a job before my money runs out. Runs out. Mm -hmm. So you were knocking on the doors of every office in that building. Yeah. And what happened? Did they accept you? Did they? No, many said we don't need people, we don't need. So until the 15th floor, I knocked there. It's a China Northeast company. They said that they are looking for a typewriter. Typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> I was a teacher. I was an English teacher, so I know how to use typewriter. But at that time, Shenzhen is more advanced than Chongqing. They are using a kind of, kind of e-typewriter. Actually, I don't know. I have no idea how to operate it. To type Chinese or English? Ta Chinese. I've always been interested, sorry, how in how typewriters, <laughs> well, Chinese pinyin. typewriters. You use pinyin then to get the words. But, but it's just a typewriter? There's no software in it? No, I, I don't remember actually how I use that already now. <laughs> but I told them I can use it. Mm -hmm. So they hired me. And then I, very, few, very soon I learned how to use that. So I asked, uh, uh, later I told them I can speak English. So they use me as an English translator. Mm -hmm. But I was so poor that time, I, my money finished. My salary is 290 RMB. 290 oh RMB, that was the month. salary? Yeah, they provide the dormitory, but right. I, I have to buy food, me three meals. But in Shenzhen, that's the downtown Shenzhen, the, the hottest place. Everything is expensive for me. That time, you, if you buy a fast food box, uh -huh. it's 2.5 RMB. But I have no money to pay this 2.5 RMB, so I used to eat a lot of banana for lunch. <laughs> okay. Because banana in Shenzhen is cheap, was okay. cheap. Then I got 290 RMB per a month. month. Yeah. That's like $30. Yeah. yeah, about yeah. thirty. That's nineteen eighty-eight. Nineteen eighty-eight. For a university graduate. University yeah. graduate. And yes. a college but teacher. But that was normal, right? That's it, that, that was the normal. The average salary is about three hundred. I'm lower okay. than average. Okay. I was lower than average. Mm. And then the I got a stomach problem. Mm. I have to go to hospital. Because of the bananas? Or? Yeah, banana. <laughs> okay. Too much banana. If you eat empty stomach with banana, you, you are going to hurt your stomach. Mm. So I lost the job also when I come out. It's, uh, I worked four months in that company. Then I start to look for another job. Then in this time, I saw a newspaper, uh, American company. Mm. It's called Houghton, Houghton, China. 
they produce uh, lubricant for chemical uh, for in uh, steel and uh, metal cutting this okay. kind of thing so this company they hired me in the end to become uh, as a secretary so I my salary goes up to uh, went up to 800 Wow. Oh, okay. Good, good raise. It's a very yeah. good uh, yeah. salary that time. Right. <laughs> so I, but my boss is a Hong Kongese. He asked me to go back to Chongqing to quit my job as a teacher completely to officially. Ah, Actually, before I was on casual leave. Like. Ah, okay. Okay. So back then, 88, right? Yeah. Um, Shenzhen. Did you see any foreigners around? Daily very life? few. Daily life? Very few, not so many. So very few you could see on the streets. Yeah, that time is 1988, not so many. Right, but there were some. But there were few. some more Japanese, Korean, this kind of thing. Not Western like Westerners? This is not common. Not common. Mm -hmm. and, and you said this was an American company. Yeah, but in an American company, mainly Hong Kongese running. Hong Kongese. Yeah, that oh, time is more Hong Kongese. Yeah, at the opening now, there was mainly Taiwanese and Hong Kongese yeah, that jumped yeah. into the opportunity right, to right. set up shop here. Yeah. Um, okay, so tell us about coming to Dongguan. At that time, what position did you have in Shenzhen? And was it an upgrade? Was it... As I told you guys just now, in 1995, I joined uh, U.S. Shoes. Then later, in 1996, U.S. Shoes was sold to Paramount. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then I became the most, many people, many managers was fired in that time mm -hmm. after Paramount took over. But I was the one kept. And the, the big boss, he interviewed me and he really liked me. So I was promoted to admin manager. And then when, my, when we moved to Dongguan, in the, by the end of 1997, I was uh, an HR manager. Mm -hmm. Why did they move to Dongguan? Uh, because first, the shoe business, like the factories, shoe factories are mainly located in Dongguan area. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, the distance from Shenzhen to Dongguan is too, mm -hmm. too long, mm -hmm. uh, number one. Number two is about uh, the, um, I think the, to find, uh, we want a bigger place that mm -hmm. time. We were very small when Paramount just set up in Shenzhen, it's very small. We have only around 50 employees. Okay. So in the end of 1997, uh, my boss sent me to look for office in Dongguan. Then we found that Land Bureau building. That's the only building that time I can see <laughs> as a building. Is that the building yeah. that uh, right near the market? Uh, in front of uh, Yonghua Ting, right? Yeah, yeah. Yonghua. Ah, in front of Yonghua Ting. Okay. Yeah, that uh, land uh, bureau. Ah, okay, okay. National land That bureau. one? Yeah, that one was Paramount's uh, first office in Dongguan. Ah, okay. So... It's not it belongs to the government, that building, It right? belongs to. But they rent office there? Yeah, oh, because okay. they have two floors ah, uh, empty, okay. mm -hmm. not occupied. I see. That time in front, around, surrounding are all small mountain hills. There was no the walking street yet? No, no walking street yet. It's only grass, <laughs> small mountain. 97, okay. Yeah, end of 97. Okay. So we, we moved to there, and then we rent uh, in one time 20 to 30 apartments in ETC. In okay. that time, e ETC is like an empty castle. Yeah. Dongchang Zhongxin. Yeah, Dongchang Zhongxin yes. is totally empty. Yeah. So we became, and it was new. It was new. And uh, we became the largest. Uh, customer for the ah, for that condominium right, and right. New World Garden. And New World Garden too. Yeah, for Brazilians, most of them, we, we rent an apartment in New World Garden. Mm -hmm. So we are the ones, actually I told the Shenzhen 
government many times, Paramount was one of the reason to bring the to contribute a lot to the prosperity of Dongguan Dongcheng area. Right, right. Yeah. So you you basically the first one or one of the first one to bring in good amount of foreigners to Dongguan for Brazilians. Yeah, yeah. for Brazilians for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Our decision sure. and. Um, so this was 1997. End of 97. And, and you yeah. set up you set up in Dongguan. Yeah. Um, and right away you had already a few Brazilians and you were bringing more and more and more. Was yeah. it very quick? In the that when we moved to Dongguan, we have like I think a maximum 10, 20 Brazilians. Mm. Then later we start to hire Brazilians gradually. But uh, uh, because Paramount is there, we we follow everything. We follow the law. So we need to apply work permit for Brazilians, but we got difficult, right? Because we are not supposed to hire so, so many, many foreigners. Yeah, yeah. So I'm one of the first to go to government to explain that to them why we need so many Brazilian professionals. That is something why? I wanted to ask. And why? 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 Yes. <laughs> uh, it's because the shoe business. We like our. We we were serving nine West American Airlines group, right? And their shoes used to place to Brazilian mm -hmm. companies in Brazil. Manufacturing. Yeah, yeah. Either. In China, the, we have many shoemakers, but uh, their technical and their technology and the skills are not so mature developed. and not so developed and professional as Brazilians. So American customers, they want the good quality shoes. So to do this, we have to move. Bring the know-how. Yeah, bring the know-how, Brazilians. And also in that time, China factories, their setup is still very simple. Uh, the Chinese factory owners, they, they really don't know how to really set up nice, uh, sophisticated production lines. Their machine is a little out of date. These Brazilians, a lot of them, they grew up in a shoe factory, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Brazilians, they, many of them, even like uh, by what I know, that they start working in shoe factory like at 12, yeah. 14. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they, they, they really have good know-how. Really know. right. They really know how to make good shoes. Mm -hmm. So that's why we brought many Brazilians, even they don't speak English, right. to China. Where, where did these Brazilians come from? Because Brazil is rather large place. And a lot of the Brazilians that I know, uh, tend that to come from Dois Hermanos. The south, right? The south. The yeah. south, yeah, Rio Grande, mm -hmm. so yeah. this, this state. A lot of them from the same city, right? Yeah. Novo Hamburgo. Dois, Dois Novo Hamburg and uh, Campo Bom. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> like uh, that area. So is that, is that where is they like made shoes? Really yeah, yeah. Like I know a friend, if you need, I can call him. I mean, Yeah, 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 it's like this. <laughs> One introduces another, then... Right. So sometimes one family came two brothers uh, <laughs> and bring the wife, sisters. Uh, and actually these Brazilians don't, don't look Brazilians, they right? Look like they German. look Europeans, mm -hmm. they're German descendants, yeah. Italians. Yeah, yeah, by what I know, South Brazil is mainly like a German and Italy, uh, how right. to say, immigrants? Immigrants, yeah. Immigrants. Yes. Couple generations. Yeah, yeah a couple yeah, of yeah, generations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like uh, one of my colleagues, even he told um, he told me until he go to like primary school, he was speaking German only <laughs> in home. So actually, um, a lot of the world shoes, uh, are, you know, are because of Brazilians. I mean, if you think about it, yeah. For before in Brazil there was a lot of manufacturing, and then in China, uh, in Dongguan. So I mean, uh, before I came to Dongguan, I didn't I didn't have a clue that Brazilians and shoes, it's mm -hmm. something you know. 
No, we did have because we used to have also a shoe manufacturing in Colombia, but it also moved to Brazil mm. oh, really? when I was a little kid. Yeah. So they must have had just some moved again to, to China. Right. So I also heard from people back then of the stories of before I came to, to China. I came in 2003. Um, and I heard there was even some people, maybe the more executives that already come in executives in the 90s that were actually living in Hong Kong and coming here every day yeah, yeah, for yeah. work. Yeah, Is that yeah. true? It's true. Because it's true. it wasn't like good enough to live here yet at certain years? No McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in my company, like in your show, our executives all live in Shenzhen, Chaco. Chaco, in a, oh, the yeah, nice area. The nice then. area for yeah. runners. So, and then for, for Brazilians in Dongguan, the first, the best place we found is Newer Garden back then. Mm. Right. So we rent many houses in Newer right. Garden for put Brazilian inside. So without, without the English, how do they communicate with the factory? Because a lot of them were shoe technicians, leather people, right? The Brazilians. So did they have translators with them all the time? Or? Yeah, normally we, we all assign translators. But Brazilians, I tell you, they are very smart. Mm-hmm. And I, very interesting is like I found many Brazilians, they didn't learn English but they learn Chinese. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The work language for like, they can say this kind of thing. Or they simply throw the shoes to the ground. No way, yeah, <laughs> right. like this. Actually, this Chinese was more important for them than English, honestly. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and because the, that's what put bread on the, uh, on the table. Yeah, yeah. And Not also English. many Brazilian, single Brazilian, they found a Chinese girlfriend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then they can learn Chinese from, with the girlfriend also. Right, right. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to ask you a question. You, you, were, you were talking a little bit about um, some of the attitude that the Brazilians brought to China. Um, is that related to their income level? I mean, I, I've talked about how teachers used to have a lot of privilege when we first came. I came here in the year 2000 and I had mm-hmm. a driver, my rent was paid, I, so really I was taken care of. Was that similar with, with Brazilians and do you think that that had an effect on the, the attitude that they had towards, uh, well, China itself? Yeah, I think uh, both, both uh, like uh, some, some reason. For Brazilians, I, I notice when they come to China, because of course our company give very good benefits, provide very good benefits, the salary is much higher than Chinese. Mm-hmm. And they have the free apartment good uh, in good condominium. I the think best. they even had Brazilian food at the company, right? Yeah, oh, Chinese yeah. also. Food oh. we have yeah. for Chinese and they Brazilian. They had a chef, a Brazilian. Yeah, we hired a Brazilian chef yeah. even yeah. for yeah. Brazilians. A dietitian, a person who prepared a diet for Because them. Brazilians complain about Chinese food. <laughs> They, mm-hmm. they, doesn't like, they didn't like the garlic smell at that time. <laughs> Nowadays, many Brazilians love yeah. the food, Chinese food with garlic. Mm-hmm. Right. But in the beginning, they said uh, we have some smell, kind of smell in the food that they don't like. And uh, I don't know why, uh, kindly, like, uh, I know that Brazilian, Brazil was that, at that time, it's not so much right. better condition than China. But they came with a kind of like uh, a little proud, a little spoiled, a little spoiled. Yeah. So they we we give drivers to them. We give very good service. Chinese people is always like uh, I think it's always friendly to foreigners mm-hmm. because in our culture we treat our guests well. Always mm-hmm. we we show welcoming attitude. So. 
that uh, brought some like uh, some kind of conflict uh, between Chinese and Brazilian, and Brazilian is a little nose high. Mm. And then, so given that situation, me, my job, and my husband at that time, he worked for like a Brazilians, uh, like uh, uh, HR also. The HR on the Brazilian side, right? Yeah, Brazilian yeah. side. So we too, we joined to give training to Chinese and Brazilians. Mm -hmm. He gave training to Chinese Brazilians. I give training to Chinese. In order to, to get along? To get along and ah. to mix the... To, to accept the culture. Accept the culture of each other. Like for Chinese, you, you cannot imagine which kind of training I give to them. Mm. I Tell us. <laughs> for new employees, my first lesson is telling them how to share the toilet with Brazilians. Mm. Because we in our company we use Western toilet hose, and in not a, not a typical <laughs> Chinese type. Then many Chinese people they like to squat on the squat toilet. on yeah, the Western toilet. Uh, yeah, on the Western right. toilet on the seat, and then Brazilians come to me to complain. They said that they saw drops of right. peace, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever dirty yeah. things. So I once I remember once I took a group of Chinese people go to toilet. To standing, stand them, show them, and <laughs> tell them. Then, because what Chinese people is thinking, they think many foreigners is, might have uh, AIDS. Oh. oh, so a lot of stereotypes, stigmas. Yes, wow. stereotypes okay. about right. foreigners. They think foreigners are too open in sex uh, mm. area, and Chinese is very conservative. So they were a little bit afraid. A they little were afraid. Worried about. Yeah, stuff. so they don't want to touch the toilet oh. used by Brazilian. Okay. So I give training to them. I told them, all Brazilians, when they come to China, the first thing we are going to do is a healthy check. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So this is required by government also. We need they to, in order to get work, work permit, they, they must have the health check. It's interesting. They do still check for AIDS on the work permit yeah. health check. Now, <laughs> nowadays, no. They do. Still? I just did it probably last year again. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought nowadays I mean, we don't do already. Part of the health check. It's inside. The there is this results too. At least there is a box and it's ticked. Yeah, there is there is something there. It's interesting. Oh, really? And do you know what kind of training your husband gave right. to the Chinese? Then my husband, oh, my husband uh, tell because we set the training content together. So what he told them is about Chinese culture. Mm -hmm. Then Chinese people are friendly. It doesn't mean you can abuse their feeling, right? You need to respect them. Mm -hmm. uh, they have their food. We don't like, but we need respect. Like the Chinese don't like our cheese. Mm -hmm. we, we think cheese is bad smell, so some Chinese think. So we should respect, you come to this country to work, you make money in this country, you should respect this country. Mm. So my husband's job is to teach them about this part. I mean, honestly, Very to, give, important. to yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt, Brazilians, you know, yeah. I don't think it's just Brazilian. I think it's a foreigner thing. Yeah. You just had it like a bubble of many Brazilians together. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I think many other foreigners would have the same thing. They don't like that they're squatting on the toilet, you know. It's just it was like almost like a gang together. Yeah, it was, it was, it was yeah. a community that was created. It's yes. like you took a community of Brazilians, again, from the same city, from the same town, sometimes the same street, <laughs> and you, right. you put them in Dongguan. So it's, it's a community that's just been transferred right. from one place to another. So it's a lot easier to, yeah. to communicate, to talk, to complain, to... Right. They say that you, you, you sit with a foreigner for five minutes and they start complaining. <laughs> and Brazilians say this about themselves, that they gossip a lot. Yeah. Really? Yes, yes. <laughs> and so 
what was what about family did anyone back then bring kids over in the beginning not in the beginning not in the beginning not but very soon when they get used to China life they start to bring the right. families so we even hired many family members to work in ah, our company the, the wife too yeah the wife yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like okay. the Brazilian chef right mm -hmm, we hired right. A, is a guy, a leather technician. We mm -hmm. hired his wife to work for us as the chef for right. Brazil. And that was also a push for international education, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. They were a big, big the uh, push yeah. for the beginning of some international yes, education. Yes. You I are right. Another, I think one thing is like the cultural shock, the, the misunderstanding caused is the language issue. Because Brazilians, their English is very limited. Mm -hmm. Even we hired like Fernando as our English teacher. Uh, but for those people there, like to learn a really like a good English, it take longer time, right? Mm -hmm. So when they write emails, when they talk on telephone, Brazilians many times sounds rude mm. to Chinese or even uh, to factory people, even to Hong Kongese, to Taiwanese. They felt Brazilian sounds a little rude. A lot of misunderstanding, miscommunication. Then, yeah, I remember. And the Brazilians, they like to joke. <laughs> right, they do. And the Chinese at that time, back to that time, we are still quite uh, like uh, serious in the job, right? Yeah. So there are some fight. Like someone come to me to complain once about one Brazilian manager that uh, he said bullshit <laughs> to right. him. We should uh, take a break. Sure. A quick break. Sure. And... And, and then we will continue. Okay. Yeah. Interesting story. And we're back. And we're back with Sophie Yuan. So Sophie, you were telling us about some of the, the differences, the cultural differences mm -hmm. that uh, Brazilians and Chinese were experiencing when they first were working together. And you were telling us about how when they were emailing the Brazilians, they could be rude. Um, what other examples, or if you want to expand on that particular story, uh, can you tell us about that time? Yeah, like uh, like Brazilians, they don't know the in English. We need to say if you ask somebody to do something for you, you should say like, uh, "Could you please?" Mm -hmm. or "Would you please?" But they don't say this. They maybe just ask, "I need this, this, this." Very uh, blunt. Yeah, very blunt. So this and the Brazilians like to make jokes. Uh huh. And I remember once a Chinese girl come to came to me crying. I said, "What happened?" I said. Oh, somebody just, uh, the Brazilian, he just uh, told me I'm too old, I should get married. <laughs> and then I said, so what did you feel? So I felt like insulted, like, uh, because he's, I'm a woman, I don't want people to say, I don't want to listen to this. Uh, will he say this to a Brazilian woman? And probably he would. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> then I told her that uh, Brazilians like to joke. Right. They, they, they want, just want to joke with you, so don't take it so seriously. It's but one of those things where people don't really understand the different sensitivities and the different things that, that can offend somebody uh, even without you thinking. It's take, yeah. It takes a while to get the culture intelligence, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, the uh, culture not, intelligence. Not just, the, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a whole different society, different culture. But I think, you know, after a while, probably it got better, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very soon, uh, I think this is only the beginning part of the company. And another, another thing I, I think is very, uh, maybe even nowadays still exists, is that uh, Chinese girls, mm -hmm. about Chinese girls, they... 
they they sometimes will misunderstood the feeling Brazilian men uh-huh. like a show to them. Like a, in Western country, you invite some women go out to have a drink. It's just uh, to uh, have a drink. To have a drink, right? Yeah. yeah. But the Chinese girl may misunderstood that that you are like interested. Yeah. In her, and even some Brazilians like they they invite girls to go out like uh, many times, uh-huh. but they don't call them girlfriend, right? They they will introduce someone as friend, my friend. But the girls were already considered. Them. Did, did you did you have to have this kind of talks with people? At yes. Work? Okay. Because one time, uh, two Brazilians got got into trouble with two women. Oh. Uh-huh. And these two women is not our uh, colleague. Okay. It's outside, and they came to our company, saying that these two Brazilians need to be responsible for them. Oh, okay. Wow. They came to the company. Yeah, they came to company. How did you deal with that? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, because they make a big noise at the reception, so okay. I invited them to my office and talk with them. What ask them what happened, and they said they talked to me that ah they uh, bring us to their home and they told us they like us. So we consider we are dating <laughs> with them, so we should be their girlfriend. But suddenly they said, "Now we don't need. We should not go to their apartment." So what are we? What they are treating us? If you treat us with, with as girlfriend, they should show respect to us and uh, uh, kind like uh, tell us what's the situation, right? But this is so if they treat us <laughs> as a whore, okay, mm-hmm. pay us by <laughs> hour. Mm. Wow. So, did you allow? Um, did you allow any relationship within the office? Uh, in our company, it's okay, not it's so okay. serious. And uh, as long as you have the like, uh, because like me and my husband, we were we met in the company. Mm-hmm. Did your husband? Uh, before we talk more about that, uh, Ari. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did your husband when he did the training to Brazilians after that incident, for example, did he need to train them about? Chinese women about relationships. I trained. I you did. I did. Ah, okay. I did train to Brazil. Uh, Chinese. After this case, I organized a new training mm-hmm. to all Chinese uh, female colleagues uh-huh. and tell them when Brazilians tells they like you, it's maybe it's not really like it's just uh, they are fond of you mm-hmm. uh, as a female mm-hmm. and uh, they may they may not be in the intention to date to officially date you as a girlfriend. So you need to be careful. I remember one of the differences. Somebody told me this, and I'm like, uh, to this day, I still don't know if it's true or not. That I love you and I like you. I love you is less important than I like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In China, you mean? Yeah, in Chinese. Whiny is not as serious as Huani. Really? No, 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 no. In Chinese, whiny is more important. Oh, okay. I was so different. I was like, that's <laughs> so strange. <laughs> but I think, I mean, I know many Brazilians here for over the years. They're pretty respectful uh, to, to, to women, you know. Again, I think the Thanks story... Thanks Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> you taught them a lot. No, actually, uh, Chinese girls, they like foreigners and mm-hmm. the Brazilians. You know what? Because they, they respect the woman mm-hmm. in, the, in the social... Mm-hmm. 
situation, any right. any kind of circumstances or place in the workplace, right. Brazilians like uh, they they were like Western, right? They think lady first. Uh, they mm -hmm. they open the door for the women. They they were romantic. They give flowers like a Chinese men normally. They they are shy to express their feelings. Right. So Brazilians are more considered like uh, more romantic, mm -hmm. more uh, passionate. More like uh, is that how your husband is? Yeah. Ah, okay. that's how he got you. <laughs> <laughs> so your husband was uh, working with you before he was your husband, right? No. Yeah. Actually, he came after me. He came after you to the company. Yeah. I, I still remember that uh, the first day we met, uh, because before he came, I used to report to general manager directly. I was uh, the main manager. Then one day, my boss, the general manager, called me to her office. They introduced this guy, <laughs> this middle-aged guy to me. And uh, I looked at him. He was smiling very nicely, but uh, he really was not good-looking. <laughs> he has a long curly curly hair, and on the top, he's bald. Okay. And, uh, but he, he was very nice. He smiled to me. Then my boss said, this is your new boss. Okay. I said, what? She's like, one day I will be his boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, no, I was thinking, I don't need another boss. I report to general manager. And then he, but then I said to him, he can say hello, I shake a hand with me, he was nice. But I was thinking, okay, I'm going to give you a hard time. <laughs> because if you want to be my boss, you need to really be very good in what you are doing. So I start to report to him. I know he didn't understand the English, but I, I go to him, give a long report in English, and just to see his reaction. But uh, what surprised me was, like, he always say, perfect. Perfect. So I was kindly happy, right? At least this guy, the new boss, he didn't give me trouble. <laughs> he recognized me and respected me. Everything is perfect. But later, after know, know him better, I know that he that's what that was the only English word beside the hello and the goodbye he can speak. Perfect. <laughs> so, but by this perfect, I've gradually fell in love with him. Mm -hmm. Wow. Then my boss assigned me to be his English teacher. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a question. Um, Brazilian people and and Latin people, I'm Latin. Mm -hmm. We tend to be very physical. Mm -hmm. in our expressions of affection. So we hug and we kiss and, right? Oh, was that a problem? A big problem for me in the beginning. Mm -hmm. This is one part of the culture shock because um, uh, they, that also I think is one of the reasons that Chinese girls misunderstood Brazilians. Yeah. Because the Hugo is so enthusiastic, right? Yeah. So warm, so nice. Uh, and uh, they kiss each other, mm -hmm. and they kiss Chinese girls also sometimes in the beginning because Brazilian they 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 give everybody this kiss yeah. like uh, for not married two kisses, married uh, mar not married three kisses, mm -hmm. and married two kisses, and this was nice when you in in the beginning. But when I start to date my husband, I start to felt uh, uncomfortable because you know Brazilian women. They, they were famous in the world for using less clothes, <laughs> as less clothes as possible. And what shocked me, shocked me was that some Brazilian women 
in the working place. They even don't wear bra. So in summertime, uh-huh. wear a very thin vest, like a yeah, yeah just yeah. that. Like a top tank. Yeah, top tank it, top. Sorry, tank top. Yeah, they wear that in the office, and then they hug each other so frequently every morning, every evening. So I felt so bad to watch my girl, my boyfriend at that time, my husband now. Yeah. He hugged those almost naked women <laughs> and kissed each other. Uh, wow, that uh, we have got many fat. What about, what about the, the, the Chinese uh, staff? I mean, how did they react to, to this situation? I remember once uh, one of our computer supplier come to me. He, he said that he could not look at our computer supervisor. Is a woman, because she is one of the, is the one that wear less, very little clothes in the office. In the office. And the supplier said, I don't know where to put my eye on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to ask uh, about the other kind of thing, the, the professional uh, aspect of making shoes. And uh, like I asked you before, right, about the, the factories or the Chinese employees and those that actually made shoes before, mm -hmm. um, where they're not feeling like, uh, why do I need these Brazilians? Well, I mean, we know how to make shoes. Um, was there anything like that at that time? Yeah, I, I think for some fa like uh, factory owners, mm -hmm. like Taiwanese, some even Chinese owners in the beginning, they don't like Brazilians to go to a factory to tell them what to do. Right. I think the biggest issue happened one time is like, um, I remember once uh, one Brazilian cut the shoe produced by the factory because they said the quality is too poor. Then they use scissor cut the shoe. And then that factory, they, they turn off the power, someone turn off the power and then beat the Brazilian and the Chinese QC in the dark. Wow. wow. So they, they, they made them lose, lose face and they yeah. were very upset. And they were cutting the product that they produce so hard, like they mm -hmm. spend so much time to produce. And that uh, product, that shoe is their baby, right? Yeah. And somebody cut it and said it's rubbish. So that wow. happened. And later happened another case is uh, to our Chinese uh, supervisor also in another factory. So after this, I start to give training. Mm -hmm. to Brazilian and Chinese QC. My husband also helped. We give training to them that we should respect suppliers, factories, manufacturers. We are in the, like a teamwork. Without them, nobody produces shoes for us. Yeah. So we, we want a good quality, but we need to teach them how to do. Instead of to cut, the shoe doesn't solve the problem. Mm -hmm. so, and we, we need to respect that that's their property, not ours. We have no right. But I remember back then that, uh, I mean, I came here, I told you before, because of a Brazilian girlfriend that she was in the shoe industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> she used to tell me, wait, just wait, they learn fast. They will not need us one day, mm -hmm. you know, as a Brazilian in the shoe industry. Mm -hmm. And I guess she was right, because why are there so many less? 
there's, so, there's so much less there's fewer of them. and fewer Brazilians nowadays. Yeah, I mean, after, they learned after 20 to 30 years, I think uh, Chinese, first, they, they improved a lot. Mm -hmm. They learned a lot. In the Lake Paramount, we trained many technicians, last makers, uh, like uh, shoe technicians, uh, also leather technicians. We, in these 20 to 30 years, many people learned. Yeah. Like, for example, the factory Huajian. Do you know Huajian? I've heard of it. That is one of the largest factory in Dongguan City. When we, when in 1998, when we like uh, start to place order in his factory, that uh, Mr. Zhang's factory, they have only a few lines and very old machines. But uh, this Mr. Zhang, the owner of the factory, he's very willing to cooperate and to learn. And then we, we cooperate with him. We even pay him in advance for him to buy machines mm. and uh, to improve his production facilities. And now he's one of the largest in Dongguan and the Jiangxi province. And he became the hero for the shoe industry. He's the people's representative in Beijing. Wow. And the premier went to his factory to visit. But he really learned very fast become very big gradually. This is, this is something that I find uh, really, really amazing. A lot of people, when they, when they think about China, when they talk about China, um, they say, oh, China just copy, copy, copy. Well, the process of copying is actually the process of learning. Yeah. Um, for example, in, in manufacturing cars, manufacturing furniture, they learn how to do things and, and yeah. Right. They don't. They don't and need then the they get anymore. Right. Yeah. Is there? Um, I mean, I guess that today, if a Chinese can do the same job as a foreigner in the same quality, and they speak Chinese too, yeah. I guess you would prefer Chinese, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's I, I because Chinese anyway is cheaper, and easier to manage. Mm -hmm. The Chinese people obey the authorities. I don't generally. think it's even about cheaper anymore and I don't think that some of them are, uh, I the think salaries are getting very close, like it's if getting they're good. close, yeah. but it's still cheaper for than Brazilians. Like for example, Brazilians, we need to provide a flight ticket. Right. We provide the apartment. Back then twice a year, right? Yeah, twice yeah, a year. Twice a year. And uh, we need to cook special food. Yeah, right. Then that is more expensive than Chinese food, of right, course. Right, right. Like this kind of thing, they generate this kind of cost. Like we need to provide hospital service, uh, like take medical them, insurance. Yeah, medical insurance, and take the take care of their family sometimes even, and visa, work permit, many jobs. Because of this, you need to hire more right, employees yeah. so to serve Brazilians. So it totally makes sense. How did you deal with uh, you know the shoe industry, like some other industries, manufacturing in China, um, factories like to give gifts, mm. like to oh, you about know bribery, to like, yeah, you bribery. I mean, you know, it's kind of like it, China's bribery is different bribery than the Western bribery. It's not so much in the face. It's, they don't say it like that. Yeah. They just want to give you a gift. Yeah. But maybe in the beginning you don't, I think when you come to China, you don't understand the culture. Mm -hmm. But actually giving a gift is like, okay, now you owe me one, right? Yeah. Something like that. This so did you have- This is yeah, about the relationship. But some gifts, I've heard about stories with like gifts, like envelopes of money with a lot of money, right? And some people took it because temptation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did your company, you tell me something before, that's why I'm asking you, right? How did your company handle that? Yeah, actually, I still remember our first car for the van uh, was given by a factory mm -hmm. to my boss, to hmm. the general manager. 
And then <laughs> she, gift? she used it for company. Right. She accepted it as company. And after that, she started to know about the culture of Chinese people. Right. This giving gift or red envelope inside with money. Yes. And these customs, she started to know. So we start to set up a very strict supplier policy in Paramount. So we have rules, like in China, in the festivals, holidays, normally the so factories, the suppliers, they will come to visit and they with gift. And it's hard to say no, right? It's, like it's hard to say rude. No. It's almost yeah. like, you know. Sometimes it like looks like it's a mooncake, mm -hmm. a box of mooncake. Yeah. But if you open it, you money. saw something more inside. Yes, yes. <laughs> like uh, 1,000, uh, one of our senior manager received a box of chocolate. And the inside have 2,000 US dollars. Yeah. And then in Paramount, what we do, we keep give training. We ask everybody sign this supplier policy. You are not allowed to accept any gift from the suppliers or factory and money. And even invitation for lunch or dinner, you need to report to your superior. And you can only go when you get approved. This is one thing. And for the money, like for Chinese New Year, normally factories come to give to all employees that relate to that factory, right. some red bags, yeah. and some bit more money, some less. Normally, no, more, no, no less than 100 RMB. So what we set up is like uh, impairment. You, if you received any gift or like an envelope with money, you must report to HR and then pass the gift to financial department. And if, then I will, like our department will judge. If it's fruit, we share with everybody in the pantry, in the coffee room. If it's food, we also can share. If it's like something can be used later, we kept right. for company party. Right, right, right. For a lucky draw later. Right. If it's money, under 100, including 100, after we register, we allow them to take. To but we, we keep a list. So but you need to know. We need right, to know. Right. Uh, if it's above, we normally First, we ask them to return. If you cannot return, financial department keep this money. And after that, what I will do, I will ask my assistant to issue a letter of appreciation to all the people, factory or person that send the gift, even small money or big money or whatever, that you, the gift or the money you send Went to the company. Uh, has been received by this employee and he has passed to our department. So they know. Yeah, we thank it's you important. for your kindness, but we recommend you don't do this again. Our cooperation is based on good quality Isn't service. Right. Mm. So because this is a slippery slope. Imagine you receive from the factory uh, 5,000 RMB cash in an envelope. All right, imagine you take it. Then you'll feel much worse to reject yeah. the quality. Mm -hmm. now, now they get you. Now this can affect in a big way the company's quality. Yes, these kind of issues, yes. right? Yeah. So you recognize that, and you you are very strict so about it. Every time we send a letter to the factory, right. and as long as they come to us, then we before also before each holiday, I will send the email to all the factory and suppliers on behalf Don't of company. Uh, say say happy birthday, uh, happy festival to them, and uh, ask them donate, send the gift to us. And right. so because my boss, I, I, I really admire my boss a lot. He has a mission is to grow up together with all suppliers and the factories. 
he, he said to me that before, uh, we want to be good, we want to grow, we need to make profit, but I, want, I don't want to, I want my factories that produce our orders also get profit. The suppliers also get profit. And he wanted the employees and get better condition after mm -hmm. join this company. So I, li I like his policy a lot. But he told me uh, one thing I learned, my boss is really, uh, it's like uh, my mentor. Mm -hmm. He said like, I don't want you to delay any payment to suppliers or to factories. And I, we don't want them to also, to, mm -hmm. to delay us for the service, but we don't delay the payment. Because before I joined this Brazilian company, U.S. company and Taiwanese company or whatever, one of the shoe business characteristic is like uh, each one try to delay the payment to hold the money in hand. Mm -hmm. So our right. company, we don't do this. Right. So this, talking about the back to the money, I want to mention it because I think it's very important. Those money we received from the gift, what we do is it. We set up a love fund in Paramount. We call this love fund, and the money every half like a time, like half a year, we announce the balance, the income, and to all the employees, all companies. Split it. Yeah, no. How this money come? How okay. much is the balance? Mm -hmm. What we do? We donate to our employees in difficulty, mm -hmm. like someone's family got mm -hmm. sick, mm -hmm. serious sick. Yeah. Or some like uh, even we donate to Sichuan for earthquake, mm, but even Indonesia earthquake, right. we, we helped on this, and also we helped the factory that worked with us when we heard uh, like one employee like uh, got cancer or was something, we donated this money to there. So this money was used like this. It's a it's a very interesting way to handle something that was very prevalent uh, here in, in China this idea of bribery, guanxi, slash corruption, um, what was a big issue for a lot of people doing business here. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to move on a little bit into um, your life after Paramount. Mm. Um, you obviously had a very long career there, you learned a lot of Paramount. Um, what came after? Paramount for you. I, I just want to say before that, sure. Fernando, because it's relating to that, right? Mm -hmm. I just one more thing. I believe that's a good segue. Is that I remember Sophie from that time, not too well. I didn't know you too well, but I know something. Um, and you were tough. And <laughs> yeah. you were a tough cookie. Yes, and she was tough. And strict. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I would say some people were even a bit afraid, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, what can you tell us about that? Why you were like that? Maybe it was necessary for the job, and and then and then you are not like that today. So then maybe what happened? You know, I think this is um, need back to my childhood time. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I I lost my mother at the year of four, so uh, back my father sent me to my uncle's home. So from seven to eighteen, I was living under my uncle's. Uh, protection. But my uncle is a very tough person, very like uh, strict, very honest person. So he has a position in government. So there are many people send the gift to him, and uh, and he always reject. Mm -hmm. And it's very few in that time in China, like uh, because we are still in quite a poor developing, uh, developing time. So my uncle give me an example for that. Mm. And uh, also, I, I was brought up by my uncle and aunt. 
and the life there is not easy because my aunt is also a very diligent, hardworking woman, but uh, she's very strict, very serious, very tough. And I was like very afraid of her. So from very little time, when I was just 10, 12, I, I read a book called Jane Eyre. Okay. Jane oh. Eyre? Jane Eyre. Yeah, Jane Eyre. And the Jane, as an independent and a woman tried to, she was like raised up by her uncle also. So I kindly find the connection between us. So I, I consider her as my model, mm -hmm. role model. So she, in the end, gained the freedom. So I, I, I thought, I need to be like her. I want to, when I grow old, I want to fly away from my uncle's home and become independent. But to be this, I, I need to study very well. So I force myself to study, to focus on study. Whenever I have time, I read. In the end, I go to university. And because of this, like education from my family, like I, I, I have to face many hardship by myself. Now I become very hard and strong in, in myself. I mean, I was very independent. So I don't accept people like, uh, like to cry, like to, uh, to be weak in front of right. difficulties. I think uh, like uh, impairment, we are in very good conditions. Company provide very good benefits and welfare to employees. We, we have a very nice office, working environment, mm -hmm. one of the best. But still, there are many people they like to complain, complain yes. and they abuse the company's benefit. Like uh, we give dormitory to all the Chinese and Brazilians. But we provide the water, power, everything paid by company. But what do they do? Now, when they left the dormitory, they keep their air conditioner turned on. Mm -hmm. they, they brought many friends to the dormitory, which is not supposed to do. And so they, there are many people. You give good condition, but they abuse it. So gradually, I became like a kindly, like a company's lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> like the warden. Yeah, uh -huh. like a, I need to protect the company's benefit because this is really one of the best company I, employer I ever worked for. So I think everybody should cherish it and should. I, so I, I don't accept those people like they abuse, abuse, mm -hmm. abuse whatever they right, receive. Right. So I was a little tough. Also, I know that for a company to keep this benefit and the good condition, you need to watch everywhere. You need to avoid the waste. You mm -hmm. need to avoid like uh, many wrongdoings to avoid mistakes. You need so to be that strict. Strict, and then so that the company can grow. Mm -hmm. Another thing, you know, Chinese, we have so many guanxi and the relationship. Mm. If I became too soft and too nice, many people might uh, want to look for me. We we call this in China to open the back door. Mm. Like mm. access to people to yeah to like uh, so you keep your distance yeah keep my distance because it's I like have a army, position like the officers they yeah. keep the distance yeah I I help people I care about people uh, but uh, meantime I'm like uh, I keep my principle mm -hmm. <laughs> I right. have my bottom line right. so I don't make friend inside the company right. that's why there are some people think like uh, I'm a little. Like that a, was your image, right? Yeah, that yeah. was my when image. I, when, I image you, when I met you, when I met you, said like, oh, she go for an interview, but she's very tough. <laughs> I remember when I sat across from you, like, I have no idea how this interview is going because you gave <laughs> me no feeling of like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I ask many questions. I make sure 
I hire you and you really bring what result to, to us, right? Yeah. There was but like, there was but no I don't ask you a cent of bribery, right? No, no. <laughs> but there no. was like no time, no, for you there's no time to be friendly. There's like, I need to get this right. Yeah, I right? need to have what I want. Yes. I, I, I want to know if you can give us this. But uh, once we start cooperation, I respect uh, Fernando because he's very professional. Mm. So we cooperate a long time, right? Sure. Yeah, quite a long time. All right, guys. Uh, we're going to take a very, very short break, and we come back in a minute. All right, guys. And we're back with Sophie Yuan. So um, we were talking about uh, how you change from being very, very strict to being a person that doesn't worry too much about out of the details in life. So why don't you tell us a little bit um, how that happened to be in your life? Okay, so actually uh, we closed the Paramount in January 2016. But uh, the change actually happened before that. Mm -hmm. That was in 2010. I was diagnosed uh, breast cancer, phase two. So uh, before that, I was still very ambitious, strict, uh, perfectionism. But suddenly, God gave me a signal telling me that your life might be ended soon. So everything you planned, you, you, your past, looks like you need to suddenly suspe be suspended, and you need to stop. And uh, suddenly I felt uh, like uh, I'm not that important in the job. I need to do sur operation, surgery, and I need to chemo, so I have to stop the job. And uh, before I was a person like like to do everything by myself, touch the hand on the every job. Mm. So suddenly I have to... Ask help. Yeah, then I have I to. Then I write down a very detailed SOP to tell my assistants what they need to do at uh, everything. Then I decide to leave everything to them. Like in one week's time, I have to go to the surgery, so I leave everything to them. I suddenly realize that really, that uh, I'm not that important. I can, people can live without me, mm -hmm. but uh, my family, my son, my husband, they need me. So I need to let, left my job and then go to start my treatment. And that I start to think, make me to think what is the most important thing in life? What kind of dreams I didn't fulfill yet? What I still want to do? And I start to think before the day of the surgery, I, I, I want to go to Paris. I never, I've never been there. I still want to go to many places in the world I've never been. And my son, still like in high school, I want to see him go to university and get married to, and have grandchildren of my own. I want to live old, grow old, like white hair with my husband. So I have so many things that is really important. But in the past, I focus everything on the job and uh, profession. So looks, I was a tough mother, mm -hmm. uh, lived two years wife, I think, in a very tough uh, executive in the company. So, but uh, should I, why I'm always like that? So I start to think. And uh, meantime, I felt uh, 
unfair. Why God treat me like this? Because I already suffered a lot in childhood time. Mm-hmm. I have no mother. I live in hard life, and I worked very hard to get my position today to be a like a executive, a high high ended executive, and. All this is done by myself. I never ask anyone's help to look for a job. So why now, when I just start to enjoy I, my success, I, the God like uh, want to give me a death penalty almost uh, because in that time in the beginning I thought to get cancer, you will die soon. Hmm. So that's how, how long? How, how, how long was your treatment? Uh, it's about uh, like a first uh, surgery and after surgery I need a rest for one month then start uh, eight sessions of chemo uh, each two weeks so it's about four months to five months so for four or five months you were just doing that chemo just chemo but and not then going to, to work no not but I work in home you work people from home. still come to okay. my home but after that I still have radiotherapy for okay. one month so start from March 2010, uh, I finished the treatment October 2010. And you were totally cured? Yeah, now I'm 10 years We're already, okay. so it's, uh, the doctor said I'm cured already. That's, that's fantastic. Did you, did you find a, an answer to that question? The why? Yeah, that's why. Why God do this to me? So I actually later I found first, uh, like, uh, uh, I'm too, too serious, I think, too perfectionist. This is one thing like you never, you always get put a lot of stress on yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, like uh, uh, my health it was not so good. I was like in childhood time because the hard, hard life. So I have bronchitis. I was always in infection, many kind of like uh, disease. Mm-hmm. So I use a lot of antibiotic mm-hmm. in China. I w- when after I reached the 40 years old, I started to lose my sleep. I didn't sleep well, and I was a little overweight, mm-hmm. and I don't like exercise that time. Maybe those bananas in Shenzhen too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, maybe also. That is part of, of the reason. Of course, the cancer, the reason to cause cancer, you never know yet. Until now, the science scientists didn't find out uh, the real cost. Yeah. But I think stress is uh, yeah, one stress, of the well-known reasons that mm-hmm. you can trigger the... Yeah, yeah. I think the stress also, like, I I don't give easy life to myself and don't give easy right, life to others. Right, right, So this is one reason mm-hmm. that uh, after that, I, I went to internet, search a lot of information, so I know that uh, be happy, be softer, like be kinder to yourself, accept yourself, maybe can be one reason to cure, one, one way to cure myself. Right. So okay. that, that is the change I decided to do. One, one quick question, were, were you treated in China or abroad? Actually, I was treated in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong. Yeah, mm-hmm. this thanks to my job success, so mm-hmm. I have the to ability to be treated in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. It's a, a lot of money for a Chinese. So is it? Uh, it's better than in here, than in China. Yeah. What What's the problem in China? Is like uh, Chinese population is so large. The hospital facility is not enough for the population, and doctors they are very busy. Each doctor each day need to look many doctor patients, and uh, so because of this, I would like to say that Chinese the hospital condition. 
compared to Hong Kong, they still have big distance, mm -hmm. a big space to improve. Ah. Because for me, like I, I really care about hygiene. Mm -hmm. And the hygiene is really something I think Chinese people still need to improve. Mm -hmm. I'm a Chinese. I love my country, but I want to say this: we need to improve this. But it's already improved a lot, actually. Improved but still a have lot. More to improve. Still have yeah. a lot more to improve. So after this, okay, after this change, you had cancer. You were cured. You 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 realized some things about life, about yourself, and you still had five, six seven more years working in that position after, right? In the company. Yeah, in so the now, company. So now, how did you, how is it, was it different after that? After cancer, I would returned, but I told my boss, now I cannot work full time. Huh. So I work only each day, like uh, in the beginning, two, three hours a okay. day. Later, I go to half day. Uh, it's like this. Then I become like a slowdown. Mm -hmm. I start to empower other People to work. Okay. So actually, I found out uh, without me, they can work also. Of course, if I do things, my boss will be like feel more uh, like uh, safe Appreciated, or, yeah. or, or more confident on me. But uh, I think uh, the people around you, me need to have chance to grow. So I start to give more job to my assistants. This is one thing, and I worked the last time. Did you? What was the reaction of the people of of, of the new Sophie? I mean. They, they, they all, everyone said to me that uh, you are a new person. <laughs> you changed completely, especially after I left the department. But uh, from that time, I already become soft. I start to look at the people. I start to care about uh, what they feel about inside. I start to be Make like... More or maybe, or maybe yeah. you didn't change. Maybe that was really you inside. Yeah, yeah, maybe you right, are right. You were containing it because of uh, that, that, actually that before I am just like close myself. I right. as my position, I think I should be tough and strict. Right. Yeah. I want to I want to talk a little bit about. Um, you mentioned something very important: cleanliness and hygiene. Yeah. Where are we right now? Uh, and uh, what do a lot of people know you for? Here is your nail salon. This is not a nail salon, but this is one of the things that I want to talk about. Right. What is Sophie's nail salon? Yeah. When did it start and why? <laughs> okay, this, yeah, talk about, uh, Fernando, talk about the hygiene. Actually, that's the reason I set up my Sophie's nail salon. Uh, because back to like uh, 20, 15 years ago in China, the nail salons are very small and most of them like um, don't look so clean, actually. Mm -hmm. Like uh, people of like uh, those nail workers, they eat inside. They still exist today. I yeah. was in one like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, like Chinese there. people also smokers. They smoke inside, and uh, those workers also staff. They sit on, uh, lie down on the sofa for the supposed to be for customer, mm -hmm. and they don't care about too much hygiene, toilet smell. Mm -hmm. So then. The Brazilians, women, they complain to me about Chinese people, the service of Chinese uh, nail salons, nail salons, hair salons, not clean, not hygiene. They are a little concerned about the hygiene. So they keep talking this and I, you know, I'm a Chinese. I, I have my pride, pride about as a Chinese. Then I start to think, why, not, why don't I set up a nail salon? that is different from others. And uh, that Brazilians will come and uh, recognize it is clean, hygiene, and they feel safe inside. 
So I decided to do this. Then my sister retired from her work. I called her to be the manager, set up a high standard for hygiene. I use really quality product. I don't don't use don't do like those other small hair nail salons. So I my mission for this nail salon is the cleanest nail salon in Dongguan. Wow. You started this in 2006. Yeah. And you had two or you have two or branches yeah, you had. Yeah, I actually I had three in you the past. Three. Okay. After cancer I decided to slow, do, slow uh, down. Stop, slow down. That is so I closed the two, keep only the one in Dinatown. Mm-hmm. So nowadays my nail salon is really recognized as mm-hmm. the the right. best quality and the right. most clean nail salon. Uh, right. The customers are among about like 40% foreigners and 60% Chinese. Why do you remember Chinese. the year she opened it? Well, I remember, yeah, I remember when you opened it and I think you took an advertisement, right, yeah, in the yeah. magazine. <laughs> in right. your magazine, yes, like, uh, you just yes. uh, started right. it. Yeah, I also remember we used to deliver the magazines to Paramount. Until today. Yeah, and no, no, uh, to there, today but also to, to my nail salon. Also to Paramount, before yeah. I think it was the first company. Uh, I think it was your name on the package. Yeah, every yeah, time. yeah, yeah. I every time. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, it's at Sophie's Nail Salon, yes. Uh, yeah, in Dongchang. Do you know that even CCTV, they come mm. to interview me Okay. in my nail salon? Oh, really? They, they want to know why there are so many foreigners in my nail salon. But you never did a nail salon uh, full-time for you, right? You're no, like no, the no, visionary. No. You're like the, the boss. But yeah, I'm the investor. Like yeah, yeah, I leave to my employees right. manage it. I've always, always had this question. You are Sophie or Sophia? Because I know you are Sophia. Actually, I'm Sophia, right? Uh, that, but I put Sophie so that it don't make it too me. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Ah. <laughs> so people call you Sophia? Yeah, my but my husband, my close friend, all call me Sophie. Okay, okay I see. So it's like a more close uh, calling. Right. Sophia sounds more Brazilian. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. So, so that have been said. So, 2017 or 16, 17, right? You were the company was done, right? Yeah. The company continued to do other kind of businesses under different names. No. Yeah, they closed. Something like that. They yeah. closed Paramount, right? And. Uh, And then this is related to where we are today, actually. So uh, what did you do after? What did you get into? Yeah, uh, I was the last one left uh, my com- ex-company Paramount. So I closed the company, finished everything, then passed to the boss. Then I start to think what I should do next. Because I, even I st- my, my ex-boss still hired me as his personal consultant. Uh, but I have a lot of time free for myself now. And I was already 50. So I start to think my first half of life already finished. A new chapter should be opened. Mm-hmm. What do I still want to do? Then I start to think about my dreams. Uh, back to the old time, childhood time, as I was not good looking. <laughs> I was short, big face. So for Chinese teachers, They like to select those good-looking girls or boys to make performance on stage. Mm-hmm. And I always have a dream to perform on the stage, like to join a singing or dancing group there, this kind of thing. So I want to learn something about art. This is one of my dreams not fulfilled. Another thing is like uh, I like to talk to people. I like to help people. So I, I have been to America in 2004, I think, to, to get a certified, to be a certified dream coach. Mm. So I think 
maybe I should set up a studio there I help women like me and the other young people to realize their unfulfilled dreams. So that's why I set up this Sophie's Dream Studio. So that's my idea. So that's where we are today, Sophie's Dream Studio. Yeah. Actually, just recently moved to this new studio. Yeah, this is another, another dream. Oh, this is another dream that you fulfilled, right? Yeah, another dream fulfilled. Because this is a really nice building. Yeah, I the want to work in the nice. No, Global Plaza. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is another dream I just fulfilled. I want to work in a sophisticated, uh, high-level office building. Brand new. Right. Because our office before in the past is all in the industrial area. Right. Or like uh, not uh, so. Dongguan don't have too many. In the old time, don't have. Yeah. And nowadays we have a lot of choice. So I bought this office. And move to here to just to fulfill my dream. So, so basically, you are a life coach, right? Yeah, you're yeah. a certified coach. Mm -hmm. um, but your spin on this is the the dreams, right? So, Sophie's Dream Studio, you, which is life coach. That's what they're supposed to do, I think, to help people uh, realize their dreams. So, what what is what do you do? What what does it mean here in now in Dongguan in China? In Dongguan, in China. Yeah, what does it mean? What kind of clients do you have? What, what do you do? How do you help them? How do you define them? How do they find you? Yeah. Um, uh, actually, like um, uh, in my past uh, 20 some years working in Dongguan, I knew many people. Yes, And, of and the people all respect me. A lot of, especially in footwear area, people mm. respect me. And then they consider me also as a role model for them because they think I gained my professional success and the, my marriage is successful also. So many people consider me as an example. Also, you're coming from the HR, which is helping people. Right. Yeah, in yes. HR job, like my, as a professional, I always need to talk to people. Yeah. Communication. To, to communicate. Yeah. I, I know I have ability to recognize people, right. to, to know like a, his, uh, a stranger's personality right. or his pause or his uh, questions or his doubt or about his potential it. or anything. Yeah, anything. Yes, yes. So this is my ability accumulated so long time. So I think I can make use of this and I like to talk to people like we are talking today. Right. So I felt... Uh, it's interesting, it's like uh, ideas comes out. So I decide to help people. And another reason I take this profession is because I want to look for, look for one profession that can work until 80 years mm -hmm. old. So I think this job, I can really work until 80. Also, I think it's also one of the only professions that uh, you actually get better as you get older because you're the wiser. The more experience, yeah, the more... Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. There are so many career counseling uh, consulting around, but uh, I was one of the successful ones because I just started this business last year. And then nowadays, already many people look for me. Yeah, I don't understand mm -hmm. those uh, 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 people that are coaches, life coaches. It's 25. 30. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, I studied this. How to, what did you do with your life that you could coach me? Yeah, yeah you, you ju your life just started. <laughs> you're just learning just like me. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. This is many people, they told me about it. Right. So what we, I do is like people, they come to me, they, they, they want to change your job. Mm -hmm. They want to know what's their potential. Beside the current job, what else they can do? They want to know uh, how to deal with wife or husband for relationship. Or they want to improve the like mother-son, mother-daughter relationship. This kind of thing. They even they all come to me. 
Are there are there other people doing this kind of work here in Dongguan or in Guangdong? In Guang in Shenzhen and Guangzhou, there are more, and the Shanghai, Beijing, more in Dongguan. There are some, but I, as far as I know, many of them didn't get success. Or mm -hmm. they they worked sometime, they stopped, changed to other job. Mm -hmm. It was interesting that um, I hadn't seen you for many many years, and last time I saw you was last year. I think yeah. it was December. Uh, during the Dongguan Dreams group, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, we were invited to give a speech. I think it was the first speech, mm -hmm. the first time that I did the speech, and that's when I saw you again. Yeah, yeah, like, and oh, the Sophie, you're here. <laughs> yeah, we sit beside next to each other. Uh, then it's almost 15 years. I think. It was 15 years that we hadn't seen it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that is the life. Like, uh, <laughs> I remember. I remember you. Uh, the f I remember when you gave this. They did the uh, cancer thing. Remember with Laura? Laura, yeah. Remember? Yeah, and yeah. And it I was they did some f f fundraising and something for it was a women I breast think, uh, cancer day yeah. awareness something like that. Uh, Alining also did some oh, charity right, event. Right, right, right. And you gave Alaining. some. That's where I learned of the story of how what happened to you and uh, how you talked about how you change and everything. So I mean, this is this kind of makes sense. Like I said, even though. Um, what the things that you realize, right? And things that you can share and help other people. But I wanted to ask, what, what do you think is the difference between, a, a, is there a difference, a Chinese and a foreigner uh, seeking for help from a life coach? Um, you know, uh, because the cultures are different, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, uh, or maybe it's, it's the same in the end, it's all humans, you know? What is the difference of someone asking for advice in their life? By what uh, I know, like uh, even from my teacher in America and uh, what I see, because I think the uh, foreigners, Westerners, they are more open to look for this kind of help. Right. It's like psychologist uh, con uh, help consultant. Interesting. In China, uh, very few people look for psychologist uh, help. They thought it's a face thing. It's, no, they it's think losing a, face. They, think, a, to they think if they go there, it's lose face, and it's like a, they got mental problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the, the, some people will consider they they are crazy mm -hmm. or whatever. So they they don't go to. So in China, like especially in Dongguan, psychologist they don't make too much money. Right. Psychological it's hard consultant. To find also, yes. It's very hard to find. Yes. And uh, for me, why people come to me? Because I have a reputation, I think. I, I have a reputation and I, I'm an open person. I like to post uh, my life in the WeChat or any circle. Uh, there are many people that like, they only show like the WeChat moment, like only three days to be seen. And they only show mm. the good parts only. Like yeah. it's very calculated. It's not really their lives. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, it's, I show it's everything. Social media, right? Yeah, right. I, I want people to trust that uh, which kind of consultant that you are looking for mm. is a transparent, suddenly like a like to willing to help. So I right. really think I, it's a mission for me. In my second half of life is to share and to inspire others. So it's a lot of motivating. Motivating, yeah. motivating, mm. and tell people you have potential. Mm -hmm. Right, you you are not nobody. You you are unique. You can you have your potential. You can live a life in a different way or even better way. You can trust yourself. I like more this kind of like to to bring out people from the self pity or 
or like uh, give them confidence. Uh, like people need someone yeah, to believe for, in. Yeah, for the people so. like uh, who don't trust themselves. Um, what what is this banner behind us, and how is this connected to um, to, right. to the, the Dream Studio? Uh, this actually is uh, Toastmasters International. It's a uh, uh, public speaking club, mm -hmm. and this was founded in California in 1924. It's an NGO, mm -hmm. nonprofit organization. So this actually I get to know this in some years ago. Back uh, I joined the one. Uh, Toastmaster regular meeting, and these uh, people go front uh, like to make a s prepared speech. In or China or in America? In China. The, your first meeting. And my first is in Dongguan. Okay. Uh, so, and I I participated once. I liked it, but uh, I didn't join them because I don't like their location. Mm -hmm. Because Toastmasters they are NGO, so they need to borrow places from right. different people and beg people to give a place in for free right. because they don't want to pay. They don't have money to pay. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't like this. Until last, uh, last year, I was thinking after my studio was set up two years, I start thinking what else I can do. Then, then another dream of public speaking. I want to help the shoe business people to improve their public, in, public uh, presentation skills. What I found is after I come out from shoe business, I meet many new people. Then I found the shoe business people really, they, they are very simple people. They make shoes, they, they follow the daily, like uh, just use computer, do some communication. They can speak some English, but not so good. Mm -hmm. And they are very, shy like uh, most people like to go front to talk mm -hmm. but in daily life we need public speaking so why public speaking is important like now we are doing public speaking yeah if as long as you are talking to more than three you are doing a public speaking you want to sell yourself you want to sell your product you want to let people know which kind of person you are you want to make new friends you want to get a new business chance, all this. So this helps anyone. You don't really need someone to be someone that give lectures. It doesn't no, matter. No, yeah, no, no, yeah. no. Actually, in the workplace, even in your home gathering, like a wedding, right. like a friend birthday party, you want, you want to talk something, then it's a public speaking. Mm -hmm. So I, I really have another, another mission is to help the people around me to improve their public speaking skills. And this postmaster match everything because we have evaluation inside. That's mm -hmm. one of the best part. You go front, you talk, someone will tell you what's the good part and what's the part to be improved. So this how is how every club, every how do you set it up? Yeah. How do you set it up? And to set up a Toastmaster club, you need to have at least 20 founding members. These 20 oh, okay. founding members in Dongguan, we set up the standard to need, need to pay 1,000 a year. 1,000? Yeah, 1,000 a year. In, among these 1,000, you need to pay 700 something to America mm -hmm. because they will give us the system, ah. the, the pathways for training. And they give us all the tools like the flag, the, the system, how to evaluate, they give menus. Mm -hmm. They give uh, all Updates. kind of yeah. You need everything. to pay them every year. No, uh, yeah, every year if you are a member, you pay. You need every to year. pay them every so year. So the we the club only keep the balance the two hundred forty RMB for one year. So you must save money because we we need every meeting we pro, pro, provide some snacks mm -hmm. and drinks. So the place for meeting must be free. 
So I want to be because I become a sponsor for the, my club here. To I give my place for free every time, and so my assistant still help the setup. So because I want to solve that problem, other clubs Location. have. Location yeah. and the poor location they always mm. have. Even they have no air conditioning in many places. Do they? Do they? Uh, is it you're the leader, or there's like if all of the twenty members are? No, first uh, to to set up, you need a funding president, chairman. Okay. Mm. So I became the funding president. I I paid the money to register the club. Mm -hmm. Then I have twenty funding members. Among these twenty members, I must find six other volunteers that they, they are willing to be uh, club officers. Okay. So they are all volunteers. We don't get one cent from the club. Right. The money must be kept by the treasurer. We have a treasurer, vice, a vice president for education, vice president for members, and the vice president for public relation. We still have an um, uh, admin officer and a secretary. So it totally plus me, seven officers. The condition serious. is the 20 members, among them seven officers. Then you can go to America, the website, to ask to set up the company. Mm -hmm. And in Toastmasters, they have a very good system. In Dongguan, we have total eight clubs. So it's two areas. We call it area. Each four club is one area. Then these area directors, they will come to help me. Mm -hmm. oh. so we have mentor sponsor system. Is there something similar to Toastmasters in China? I mean, I mean, by Chinese, not, not exactly um, Chinese uh, created. Uh, so far, I don't know. I don't know. And it's, maybe there are some book clubs, mm -hmm. the uh, reading clubs, I think this kind of thing. And you, you mentioned that you also have this not only in Chinese, but also in English. Yeah, bilingual. Mm -hmm. Our club is bilingual. There in Dongguan, there is a club only English. They only speak English. Because here, there are many people that who came to Toastmaster. Most of them are working with foreign trade business, or someone knows English, or someone like uh, studied abroad, come back to Dongguan or China. So this is a very open and a friendly yeah, I would uh, say problem. Chinese I just, I would say Chinese equivalent there would be probably English for corner. profit for profit seminars that teach you how to do better public speaking maybe I think it's different it's different yeah, because this like uh, the officers they, they everything is cl uh, free it's volunteers mm. and every year you no, need no, it is different that's mm. non-profit yeah, yeah yeah that's the difference that's that the main difference is this yeah all right, good. We're going to take a very, very short break and we come back with Sophie to, well, get to the end of this video. All right, guys. So we want to thank Sophia, Sophie, very, very much for, well, sharing her life experience with us, for giving us some insights into what really matters in life, dreams, uh, and uh, basically for showing us this new place. Um, I hadn't been here. It's very, very new. So thank you for from, coming. From my part, thank you so much for having us here today. Yeah, thank you, Sophie, for having us here. I think uh, it's a very interesting insight about uh, uh, the shoes industry in, in China, in South China, your, also your career as a, as a Chinese woman that got quite far and, uh, and the change you had in your life. Um, thank you for hosting us. Thank you for talking to us. 
Thank you for coming, and I really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> well, guys, that's it for today. So you know how it works. If you like this video, give it a thumbs up. And if you like the content of our channel, then you can hit the subscribe button. And when you do that, don't forget to hit the bell button to be notified whenever there is a new video out. And well, remember to follow us in the social media at the bottom of the screen. And until we see you again, this was of course China. Bye. Bye. 再见. <laughs>